what I love about my involvement with the Mesa Arts Center is that those kids don't know any different. They know that there are concerts in their schools. They know that the Mesa Arts Center is the kind of lightning rod, the, uh, the tuning fork for the arts and emotion and inspiration. Grammy award-winning cellist Zuel Bailey is back to talk about the upcoming season of the Classical Music Inside Out series with Mesa Arts Center and the celebration of his 10th anniversary with this ongoing initiative. I'm Melissa Green. Welcome to another episode of Heart of the Arts. Thank you for joining us in the studios today. Always a pleasure. It's great to be back in person. <laughs> yes, it's good to uh, finally meet you. I, I guess I've seen you perform in person, mm. but we've never officially met. Okay, so there's a lot happening with the new season, and let's just dive into this week, uh, Adam Golka. Well, we as an organization, the Mesa Arts Center, are, are kind of cleaning out our books. We had Adam slated for an incredible celebration. Uh, we had him coming in to play the complete Beethoven sonatas, all 32, wow. in 2020 for wow. the Beethoven 250th birthday year. And um, we were going to have pianos all over town, and we were going to, I mean, he was carrying this massive project. Um, and, you know, that thing called COVID happened. Mm-hmm. So we are really um, sad to not celebrate the Beethoven the way we wanted to and to also bring him into the audiences of, of this region, but thrilled to get him back in the book. And so we have him coming in to do an eclectic show on Thursday night. Uh, not There will be Beethoven on the show, but it will also it, – it is actually showcasing a, a, a high arts, beautifully artistic, uh, intellectual, virtuosic – piano recital. You know, so many of shows these days, you know, I travel quite a bit. Um, and, um, you know, the the art of the strictly beautiful crafted classical recital is rare these days. A lot of times there's so much fusion in a recital um, that uh, obviously it, it, it um, attracts a broader base. Uh, but the again, the art of the classical recital um, is uh, rare. So mm-hmm. I'm thrilled to to present, we are thrilled to present him on Thursday night at the Mesa Art Center at 7.30 in this um, high art situation where we get to hear his stories, but also hear the music that um, is celebrated for centuries. So there's going to be more than Beethoven. Yes, of course. On the concert. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what do you enjoy about crafting a... Um, a program or a season that's maybe different than crafting or planning out a record. Ooh. Or is or are there similarities? Um, well, I think the first thing that comes to mind is you have to think about your audience. You know, it's not um, very rarely do I do things as a vanity project. And I think in school, uh, when you're, and that's, that was a long time ago, uh, but in school, they, they, they make you play things because it's good for you as the performer. Um, that's not the same in the performing arts presentation world. We have to, we have to put things out there that people should hear, um, what want to hear, um, and um, that will broaden them, but also give them great comfort and familiarity. 
Mm-hmm. So having said that, you know, it's like um, it'd be like going to a really fine restaurant and and knowing that you're going to get the big piece of steak and you're going to get the possible seafood thing and um, the dessert portion and um, paired with wines and things like this that you're 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 familiar with. But mm-hmm. the uh, the chef comes out with an amuse bouche mm-hmm. or something that kind of is shocking along the way too that you're ready for because of your comfort. Blah blah blah. <laughs> so when I when I help curate these shows, I take that into consideration. I think, you know, what is um, a piano, universal instrument? A, yeah, piano, the instrument that inspired all the composers to think symphonically as well as um, in smaller scale and in, uh, intimate chamber works. It was their vehicle to create large scale, small scale works. So many pianists in the world, so many um, celebrated pianists that we could possibly try to get here. Um, so, I always love to to work with pianists on bringing a, a program that would inspire music teachers, would inspire audiences that collect recordings, um, that know of Beethoven's famous works, uh, et cetera, et cetera, but also urge them to try to put something that might challenge us as well on the show. Um, I, I, I see myself more as a guide um, once I establish the personalities in in play. Um, of course, that's also for the bigger picture. We have Awadaj and Pratt coming in in January with the Maxwell String Quartet. We're used to hearing him as a strict soloist. So to have him come in as a chamber musician as well will be quite a, a different vantage point. Uh, the Eroica Trio, mm-hmm. celebrated all-female uh, piano trio, um, been around forever, um, celebrated forever, recording artists, uh, soloists in their own right. Um, as well as our, our collaboration with the Sphinx organization. Uh, okay. So the next presentations uh, after this will be uh, to basically showcase the, the next generation, um, the rising stars, which is how I got my break. You know, people took a chance on people that hadn't gotten their chance yet. Okay. Um, but it also really was um, helpful for me as a young person to be guided by an organization like the Mace Arts Center to again, help guide on what uh, would be good for everybody, the presentation, the, the commercial element of it all, the growth of the artist, the dedication to the community. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm here. And this is why I've been here over 10 years. Uh, my belief that the grass is greener where you water it has always been very strong. Um, and to work annually for months uh, with the Mesa Arts Center to get into the schools, to talk about how to continue to lay seeds down, why the arts and culture are so important to young people, as well as those who can't go to the halls anymore. Um, So I'm here each time, every concert, um, behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, sometimes on stage, um, guiding and, and showing every artist that comes in um, our belief system and how we take care of our region of, of the Scottsdale, Phoenix, Mesa area through the schools, through the nursing homes, through the hospice, through the hospitals, uh, through the um, prison system, uh, the oh, reservations, wow. okay. um, everything. Wow. And so generally speaking, the artists come in for a week. Okay. And our concerts are in, on a weekday because we wanted them to be during the school week where it becomes part of that uh, for young people. So you hear in my voice, it's a very deep experience for all of us, but it's, um, it's really exciting to see, again, 10 years later, 
Yes. And it's, uh, you talked about kind of planting those seeds. And I think it's also a really important lesson for not just the kids, but a great reminder of like, just the having longevity and just knowing that looking back 10 years ago when you started, is there any, any surprises or are you amazed that you've kept it going? That kind of idea of planting that seed and then waiting in a world where instant gratification is, you know, just ingrained in. Okay. So I'm going to pose a question. Think back on your childhood. What are, what are your earliest real memories? Um, and you know, I had to pose this question to myself because I've, of the time spent in communities. And, you know, we kind of remember elementary school, kind of. But we really start to kind of lock in. I don't know if it's hormonal or what it is, but in middle school. So in middle school is when you possibly start music uh, in, your, in your classes, band or orchestra, mm-hmm. um, art classes, um, a lot of sports. Um, and that time between middle school and high school is how long? I mean, it, let's just say you start in seventh grade. So, so you get four, six years uh, before, you, before you get to college. So if you think about that, I've already been through a cycle and a half of people's childhoods, their, quote, entire childhoods of memory. And what I love about my involvement with the Mesa Arts Center is that those kids don't know any different. They know that there are concerts in their schools. They know that the Mesa Art Center is the kind of lightning rod, the, uh, the tuning fork for the arts and emotion and inspiration. They know that, um, that music and the arts are kind of the soul of a community. Mm-hmm. And they all know that forever. And, yeah. and I have been to places that didn't have that. I have met people in their late 20s that didn't have music as part of their childhoods uh, or the arts or accessibility, and I can see it. No judgment, but right. I can see it. I can see in the way they communicate. I can see the way they express themselves. Mm. I can see in how it affects um, how they treat others. Um, because I do believe from personal experience that music can open us up to being or I say the arts, um, to being more functional, um, emotionally balanced uh, human beings. Right. Um, And so, um, you know, again, to see, I've had people thank me in this community already for being and bringing culture and arts to their entire childhoods. And they were married already. Oh, my gosh. So, and I said, when did I play for you? They said, sixth grade. Oh. In Mesa, Arizona. And I thought, my God, that's that's literally their adolescence as well as their maturity, as well as they're getting their families ready to go. And now they will pass the torch forward and bring their kids to concerts because or, or events. Because, I mean, you know, the Mesa Art Center has everything. It has a museum. It has um, art, of course, as well as pop shows, as well as music, classical music, as education lessons, things like that. So... You know, all I did, the, the secret was, is I just emulated my own childhood with yeah. all of this. I was very lucky to grow up where I did in the D.C. area. Okay. And just to replicate that wherever I go and to, but but most importantly is to, to see it through. Before we get to um, the uh, talking about your 10 year, 10 plus years here and um, some, some more of the uh, upcoming uh, surprises for the season, 
Uh, do you find yourself a person that it it you come off as someone who's always in the moment? Is that easy for you or is that a struggle? Ooh, that is really interesting that you just said that because I strive for that. It comes off at, like really strongly that you're always in the moment. And it's just amazing to always to hear you talk about everything because that's something that myself and I'm sure a lot of people struggle with. I did too. I, you know, I started traveling when I was 18 and I kept looking forward to that next thing and worrying about it and then worrying about the last thing. And when I was on airplanes or in um, hotels, I'd worry about the concert coming up in two days or this or that. And I'd be practicing, but anxious. And it was in my early thirties that somehow I just stopped worrying. I I started being totally and focusing on being totally present with where I was and not worrying about what happened yesterday or what was to come tomorrow because that is tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And it you know I have this saying practice makes permanent. Mhm. Not perfect. Mm-hmm. And that became you you can really change yourself and how you view things. Mm-hmm. And so I literally will sit on an airplane or in a car or with someone at lunch, and it doesn't cross my mind to be somewhere else. Mm. Because 20 years later, I, I've, I've made myself so happy to be there um, and to be real and present and um, absorbing that moment that I guess it's become who I am, I yeah. guess. Yeah. <laughs> but um, that's really cool of you to notice. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, um, no, I was super excited to be here today, and uh, I... Um, but interestingly, on the drive here, I didn't. It didn't cross my mind even where I was going. I just set my GPS and I was enjoying the drive. Yeah, going, oh, this is beautiful to be here. I'm, there's no sandstorm today as it was <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just. I think it's. I think it's a gift because that's what everyone truly strives for. And as someone who studied um, classical music in college, I. And I'm 33. I still have some time to uh, catch up to where you are. You said it happened in your early 30s. <laughs> it happened in my early 30s. <laughs> um, where was I going with that? Um, it's just what everyone strives for. And I feel like the process, like you said, um, the way people communicate or how they're compassionate, that the the music that you perform and study and, and bring to the Mesa Arts Center really helps with that. That's one of the greatest lessons I learned. Not only that, but like watching someone, if you're, um, you know, you're a professor. So watching people dissect the music and interpret it and perform it, you can learn so much about them in one single lesson. I played, um, talk about like how things affect you if you let them. I played at a prison, San Quentin, um, a few years ago, and uh, I was playing for these inmates, and I finished, and this one inmate was visibly make i mean, visibly distraught as well as making a lot of noise. And I looked up, and he, he raised his hand, and he um, introduced himself through his number, his inmate number, as well as his name, and was bawling. And he said, Sir, I am such and such, and from there, and I said, I've been in this prison for 25 years, and I haven't cried in 26 years, and I want to know what's happening to me, and I need you to tell me. Whoa. And 
I mean, literally, it couldn't get the words out. He And I, I knew that was a moment, a very important moment. And I said, okay, so to everybody here, what is the opposite of love? And they all shouted, what do you think? Fear. Well, they shouted hate. It's kind of the same oh. kind of thing. And I, mm-hmm. I said, okay, that's, that's another emotion. But what's the opposite of emotion? And I said, it's an indifference when you just don't. Yeah. You don't. You don't feel, you don't, there's nothing there. Yeah. You're, you're not vibrating. And I said, and to vibrate and to feel is, a, is human and makes you um, acknowledge being alive. I said, so, sir, welcome back. Wow. Oh, my god. And gosh. I said, I said, you know, these feelings, if we embrace them, remind us that we're alive and that we are present, that, was that word. Mm-hmm. And I said, now let me play you something else, being that your windows are all open now. Mm. And watch how this affects you. And, um, you know, again, going back to being present or um, aware and aware that, that even fear, as you said, is people ask me all the time, do I get nervous for things? Mm-hmm. And I say, sure. And I said, they said, why? I mean, at your age, you know, at your experience, I said, because I care. Yeah. I don't get nervous for things I don't care about. <laughs> but yeah. if I really want something to go well, I am anxious about it. And I, I embrace that because I, I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself to be the best I can be. And so, but I will be better because of it too. Because of what I just did, I will be better. Which so I'm looking forward to the experience of seeing myself grow out of a fear-based unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, so you explore those feelings and kind of like um, maybe have you had those experiences where it's like, oh, this is anxiety or this is fear, but actually it's, it's I'm labeling it wrong. It's excitement, it's anticipation, et cetera. Well, again, I have two sons and they are in a different, obviously they're young, young people. Um, one's in college and one's in high school. And I tell them all the time, um, you know, I am really no different than you in, in lots of ways. I said, the only real difference in the age thing is that everything you're feeling for the first time, I'm feeling for the thousandth time. Mm-hmm. And I said, and because of that, I know it's survivable. And I know this too shall pass. Mm-hmm. And I know that, oh, remember, oh yeah, don't worry about it. And I said, mm-hmm. but you, on the other hand, are experiencing something for the first time and wondering if this is it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and I said, so if you ever want to talk about if this is it, let's talk because I'll mm-hmm. tell you a, a parallel story of how it's not it. And um, you can just you can enjoy any ridiculous moment or wonderful moment or sad moment and not enjoy, but, you know, experience. Yeah. Um, but but embrace it. So it's not something that's um, destructive, I guess. Mm hmm. I assume. So, um, you know, even to this point, when I, um, yesterday's travel day, I was running on about an hour of sleep and I was flying in from Anchorage, Alaska. And, uh, you know, I I had my cup of coffee in the morning and I kind of looked down at my hand as I was holding my my, uh, boarding pass up and I was slightly shaking. And I went, oh, that's this caffeine on an empty stomach and no, no, uh, um, 
no sleep, and so probably best not to text or make phone calls until this <laughs> passes because mm-hmm. it might not come out the way I want it to. So yes. that's experience. And you have Awadog and Pratt coming in January. You've recorded albums together and you've known him for quite a long time. Now this guy not only is one of my great friends, life friends, I met him in 1986 in upstate New York. Um, he's one of the most talented, uh, intelligent, uh, wonderful people I know. Um, and, you know, when he first hit the scene um, in the early 90s, having won the Naumburg competition, <clears throat> um, he was thrust into the limelight where he went from being a, a very unique individual pianist to, you know, on center stage. He um, caused a lot of problems for a lot of people because he did things very differently than everyone else. Mm. Yet they chose him um, to be up there. He didn't choose himself. He sat on a very low piano bench. He um, had dreadlocks, has dreadlocks. He is a very muscular guy, and so he didn't feel comfortable wearing tuxedos and things like that, which is what everybody wore in the early 90s. <clears throat> um, so he wore these floral shirts from from um, that, that, that made him feel um, comfortable and kind of represented where he's from. And I'll say this, and I know I'm saying this on the radio, but he, um, a lot of people um, balked at it. Like, they're like, you can't do that. And he's like, I'm going to do that. This is who I am. And he made a very personal statement of, of flavor and uh, personality. And um, what a visionary, because he brought it all who he is to the table. And to be a visionary, you have to not try to be like everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and now everybody does that, <laughs> or they try to do that. Right. He is that. Mm-hmm. They, everyone tries to be something different. Um, or unique, and he just was who he was. And that taught me a lot. You know, very few people wear tuxedos now. Um, very few people, um, you know, the, the, the box of what, how we presented music back in the early 90s has completely changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're presenting him this season. I mentioned that because of that. Uh, and we get to see him in, in full glory and, and uh, full celebratory, the, the superstardom uh, on the Mesa Arts stage. And because I've known him for so long, Ed, um, you know, he exudes that. Um, it, it posed a lot of questions to me as a young person about trying to always be me. Um, and what is that? Yeah. I mean, when do you Because it's I, like it's I, not a, a try. No, it's no, you just said, tr- but, but most people, and it's sad, and I talk to people all the time about this, but... It's so obvious when people are trying to be something they're not because it's it's awkward. Mm-hmm. But if someone just embraces who they are and in all ways, there's something beautiful about that because it they just they're comfortable. Mm-hmm. You can see it yeah. and it's attractive. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not normal. Mm-hmm. So, um early on when I chose concerts or music or places where I went, um there was always a story behind it why I did it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just a random thing. And I started talking to the audiences a little bit about it or um, telling the story about why a piece was written, but not the musicology story, but the emotional, like, uh, 
uh, therapeutic story about why a, a composer might have done it mm-hmm. um, or why I chose it at a particular time in my life, whether it was personal or not. So um, speaking of experiencing things a thousand times, let's talk a little bit about um, more about the uh, series. Yeah. I want to hear, um, you gave us a little information uh, towards the uh, end of last season about mm-hmm. the Bach cello suites mm-hmm. and um, why you're bringing that back, the dedication, yeah. the people you've worked with. Can you touch a little bit on that again and um, how you feel about playing them again if it's, you know, uh, if you've discovered something new? Well, thanks for asking about that. I, I um, you know, it wasn't long ago. When I came here, I had um, I had recorded the Bach cello suites in 2008. Um, I won't even go into that story, but it was released in 2010 to shocking great acclaim. I didn't do it for that reason. I did it for um, kind of a, a benchmark. Cellists feel like they have to achieve and attack the Bach cello suites to see where they are in their own head, yep. et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, Randy Vogel in the Mace Heart Center asked me to come give the presentation of the complete Bach cello suites. I thought no one would come. <laughs> and I walked out um, to do them all in one sitting. And wow. it was a full concert hall at the uh, the recital series there at the, at the theater. And um, I just began talking to them about my fears mm-hmm. and my travails of why I did this. And I walked them through 36 movements of the Bach cello suites. I didn't get up wow. off stage. There was no intermission. Two and a half hours later, we were all laying on our sides, exhausted. Oh, my gosh. And <laughs> it was an experience I'll never forget. Yeah. And um, the Mace Arts Center got a lot of communication from the audience saying, this is the future, this kind of event of of like um it goes back to that saying it's not what you do it's how you make people feel mm-hmm. um and that's when they asked if i would come in to help stir that into their series and they, the classical music inside inside out was created so um long story shorter 10 years later i was asked to re-record them um, and the journey was very different for me um, with my producer, who was a, a great friend of mine. And I say was because he passed away one year ago this month. Um, and he found out that he had a, a brain tumor two weeks before he passed. Mm-hmm. So it was so quick. Um, but he had just said to me before our last communication that this experience of the Bach cello suites to him, and he walked me through them on the phone, was his magnum opus. He didn't know he was sick. He said, this is the top of the heap, the hill of everything he'd ever done. And two weeks later, he was gone. I'd like to share that with the Mace Arts Center. I'd like Mm -hmm. to share why and why COVID inspired that silence to very intimate sharing, because I recorded them at the Mesa Art Center by myself with two other people in the entire building. And Tom Moore, who was the producer, was doing it remotely from Cleveland in his house with headphones on. Wow. Yes, it was, the technology is astonishing. So he was sitting there in his attic editing my, quote, live performance of Mm -hmm. this stuff. Um, And 
because he couldn't be in the building uh, because of COVID. There were oh. only a certain amount of people allowed in there. Wow. Um, and so that, that uh, presentation in the, in the spring will be a celebrating the Bach cello suite, celebrating why we are doing classical music inside out, celebrating um, the 10 years, but celebrating a life too. Mm-hmm. And why he said that, and I'm analyzing why why that was his magnum opus. I think it was way beyond the music and what we captured. I think it was, mm-hmm. um, and I, I I'm still coming to grips with that. So I will hope to share that yes. during that concert and yeah. experience that again. It's going to be incredibly, I guess, emotional. I guess because I'm not going to think about it until that night. Yeah. Um, but that's why. That's a very long story, sorry. But, no, but, it's beautiful. But that's I... me being myself, like Awadaj and Pratt, and bringing a personal, very personal story of an event that was captured to a, a place that's safe for me, which is the Mesa Arts Center, with my audience that I feel like I know after 10 years because I see them every time um, and embrace them. And I can't wait to share it. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's going to be an amazing concert. And I just, the idea of having that just straight through performance just in and of itself is mind-blowing. I always, my professor told me that once you can play a Bach cello suite, like when I was studying the cello suite number one on guitar, he's like, that's when you know you're, you can play, Mm -hmm. when you're a musician. Mm -hmm. Do you have a similar uh, would you agree with that yeah and and the reason why there's so many reasons why they might have said that first of all there are no directions for the Bach cello suites Mm -hmm. meaning that uh, for those who don't know every composer of classical literature gives directions um, loud or soft fast or slow uh, articulations techniques on how to apply and the manuscript of Bach was lost so we only have um, secondary figures in history, including his second wife, Anna Magdalena, Magdalena um, guiding us into finding ourselves. Um, so what is right, what is wrong, I don't know. That's mm-hmm. up to you to decide. Um, and, and that goes back to the belief system and believing in oneself. You know, you have to say, this is where I am right now, and this is what I believe right now. It might change, uh, but I am thoroughly in right now. And that is a very different place to be than all of other, other classical music. We are the interpreters of what Bach or Beethoven and other music mm-hmm. uh, or Tchaikovsky or whatnot wanted. So if you don't like it as the listener, you could say technically, well, I did what the composer wanted. You must not like Tchaikovsky <laughs> or whatnot. In Bach, all of your decisions, you have to stand behind. And if they love it, you can feel really good about that. If they don't love it, you have to stand there and say, well, this is what I believe. And that's very empowering and also frightful. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So maybe that's what they were saying to you is that um, when you, when you um, establish the arc in your own world of a Bach suite, uh, you have you've conquered so much more than just the music. Mm-hmm. You you can play your instrument, mm-hmm. good job, but mm-hmm. that's just the beginning. Yeah, it's everything else that matters. Yeah, wrapping this up, what uh, I don't know if there. Every time we chat, I just feel like you say it all. I don't. I, I have a hard time wrapping up these interviews with you because <laughs> what else can you say? I mean, it's going to be an amazing season, and. Um, Everything sounds like a highlight, but 
you in the in on the cello and having those deep conversations like you said that's that's the future of it and you just need to keep inviting everyone in and right and it's and do. it's yeah and it's i'm there at every concert so we've got adam golko this week at 7 30 uh, at the mesa arts center then we've got uh, the the sphinx winners uh next month and then we've got Awad Ajahn Pratt in January. I'm playing uh, the box suites after that, celebrating the box suites. And then the Eroka Trio. Um, I'm at every concert. I'm, I'm there to talk to everybody. I, our audience is amazing. And I, I do believe that um, it's a family. Mm-hmm. So if you come to the concert, you will become part of that family and really not want to let go. Yeah. Because it's a, it's a wonderful rally of inspiration. Well, we're so lucky to have you. We truly are. Thank you for coming into the studios today. And I'm excited and I'm excited to um, chat with you more in the future. Thank you. Cellist Zua Bailey, the curator of the Classical Music Inside Out series, is at it again. The season kicks off this week with pianist Adam Golka. For all the amazing offerings this season, head to mesaartscenter.org. For KVOX Heart of the Arts, I'm Melissa Green.